You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello and welcome to episode 238 of Around the Lens. I'm your host, David J. Murphy. Joining me this week are my regular co-hosts, a freelance photojournalist based out of Washington, D.C., Miss Evelyn Hochstein, a freelance commercial photographer and chairman of APA New York, Mr. Travis Keyes, and our guest this week, it's one of those a freelance photojournalist based out of Chicago, all, Illinois, good, Mr. Aaron How are you Sinek. doing today? Okay, our first topic this week is about Magnum. It's a photo agency that's been existing for many years, and they have been allegedly sort of tagged with, you know, essentially selling photographs of underage girls, girl prostitutes, age 3 to 13, in in photos that have, you know, again, shown their likeness and their face uh, and, and used to document, obviously, the fact that, you know, child prostitution, sex slavery... Uh, child uh, trafficking, human trafficking. Uh, you know, again, it's an it's an ongoing issue that exists currently today, and these photos were meant to highlight that and expose that sort of world and that underworld to the general public, so that you, me, uh, anyone can see what's going on and hopefully maybe change people's minds, do something about it. Right? That's the point of a lot of what we do with regard to photojournalism. Anyways, the issue here is that a lot of these photographs. You know, they feature girls ages like 3 to 13, and they come up during search terms when you're searching something like girl prostitute or something like that. And the issue here is that, you know, essentially what this article raises, uh, and the article is by Mr. Andy Day for F-Stoppers, what it basically says is, you know, were these children exploited essentially to make Magnum money? You know, does the, the publication of these photos act as sort of child sexual abuse? You know, what sort of things should be done? Should these photos even be out there? If they're going to be out there, should they be blurred? You know, what is sort of the onus on Magnum to have and put out these photos in this day and age? And what is their responsibility in that regard? So let me open up to you panelists. What do you think about this? We'll, of course, throw it out to our guest, as is tradition here. We always give guests the first take at the first topic. Uh, Mr. Aaron Sinek, what are your thoughts on this story? I, 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 oh boy. Um, so this, this was something that, you know, I, you, you, I found out about because of this, uh, you know, in preparation for this show. Um, and I, I'm going to go with yes. Um, you know, I think, I think they, I think they really, there, there's a line I think that has kind of been crossed here for a couple of reasons. Um, and I mean, there all of the questions that the uh, F Stoppers um, story kind of asks is are are extremely valid. But I think the 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 ones that it asks um, very specifically are, you know, why does Harvey have a photograph of what appears to be a naked child approaching him where he is sitting or lying? Um, what um, you know, and and just sort of like. You know, the, the situation that, um, these, these poor kids were, were put in, um, is, is definitely, you know, it, it, it crosses a line because you have to ask yourself, okay, um, you know, is this the only way that we could have told this story? 
Um, or is there a different way that this story could have been told without exploiting um, these kids? And that's that I think is the first question that needs that should be asked um, is how how could this have been done differently and why was it done the way it was? And that's kind of where I'm where I've landed on this, at, at least at the beginning of it. Um, but I would be curious to, to hear, you know, of course, how you guys feel. No, I, I think I think it's interesting that uh, yeah, you jumped out at that first question, which is obviously a really important one, was like, why is he seemingly lying there and a child approaching? But that first question that they ask is, why was uh, he making these images in the first place? And if it's not clear that he was shooting this for a story, that's the biggest red flag right there. I mean, one would obviously know if if Magnum would say, well, this was a series or a piece he did for against child, child sex trafficking or something like that. If that's if they're still asking that first question, that's really a big red flag there. Um, so I, and I also think Magnum has for a long time until this Me Too movement, Magnum has always kind of been under, well, if it's journalism, we can shoot anything and it's, you know, if it's real and stuff like that. So they kind of hit under this moniker like, oh no, it's, it's, it was in the past. It's, you know, it's, uh, it was newsworthy or documentary or, or, and so we can kind of shoot everything, but obviously that's not the law right now. And, uh, it's kind of, but at the same time, it's like the, it's really kind of clear cut as a journalist. They're telling you, you cannot shoot something. And I want to kind of understand what you guys feel about that. Like, you're not allowed to shoot it. Even if it's for the best intention, the best of reasons, you're not allowed to shoot it. How do you feel about that? I thought about that specific, I think because this is sexual abuse, because I thought, wow, we take pictures of kids being exploited, maybe working in a gold mine in Congo or in a sugarcane plantation or in a, I mean, I've, I've certainly seen, you know, child laborers here in the United States. We photographed child laborers and eventually, um, that ended the practice, you know, those, um, Lewis Hines photos, right. Yeah. Of, so, but when it, when it becomes, uh, sexual exploitation, that's a whole nother category. So I guess that's why, um, but this topic is very, um, I have done this story. I have photographed child prostitution in Nicaragua for the United Nations for a book I was working on about violence against women. And they've been published. Um, and they are gir- teenage girls on the street in Nicaragua. So I immediately was like, okay, let me think about this. And I really had a long thought. Um, and, uh, it's very tricky. I mean, I remember when I got to Nicaragua, I saw these gir- girls on the street and I wanted to know what they were doing and why and try to get to know them. And I interviewed them. I had their consent. Um, they were ranging from fif- most were 15. 15 and 17 were the girls that I focused on the most. And there was one girl who was 13. Her, her family said she's not working on the street. She's just hanging out with everybody. They were not naked. They were not in any sort of sexual acts, but they were definitely standing on streets, um, hoping to, you know, have some business. I also went to their home. I wanted to see what kind of poverty they lived in. I wanted to see their mother. I wanted to see what the whole family situation is, was, but I feel quite uncomfortable now. I mean, I don't think I, this was shot a long time ago. I mean, I want to say at least 15 years ago. Um, but I feel like these are all very valid things to think about when you're doing a story like this. It's a very touchy subject. And, um, 
how do you tell an important story? You want to protect children. You don't want these sort of exploitation. You don't want exploitation of children to continue. But how do you as a journalist, is it important to cover? Is it something you want to expose to the world? Um, I think that this mother and this prostitution ring was shut down in Nicaragua from what I heard after I did this story. So that's good news. I don't know if it was probably specifically from my story. That is one positive thing. But um, how do you get address like the poverty, systemic poverty issues in in places where this is happening? I mean, it could also be happening. It's happening in the United States. It's not just about poverty. It's about I think the thing, I don't, David Allen Harvey's photos, I haven't seen them. I think the thing is there are a lot of creepers and perverts on the internet who aren't looking at this from a journalistic point of view. Now, is it journalism to photograph children in sexually provocative ways? You know, I mean, that's also debatable, but is it an issue? And do we cover, will we cover this issue with adults, but, you know, children require special protection. So I don't know. It's really a touchy, it's, it's a really, sensitive subject. Um, so I look back at my images and I, I think, yeah, maybe I could have even obscured these girl, young women's faces or done things differently. Um, although I, I wasn't there to, you know, I wasn't, I mean, it was a very sad story. Um, so I think the intentions and the purpose of doing it were, I know what my intentions were. They were to expose something going on, but, um, you know, is there a different way to photograph it? I could rethink it probably. Um, yeah. I tried to, you know, do it in the best way that I could. However, right back to my point, there are a lot of creepy, perverted people who want child pornography. And I think Aaron said there, Travis said that, that like, this is not, this is not about, you know, pornography, but that's how it can be used. These are just images you can buy up off the web and use them in an art, you know, if you're going to the Magnum archive or Getty archive and use them for whatever purposes you want. And that puts these children at even greater risk or other children at greater risk. Um, so how do you tell that story without then putting something on the internet that can be used in a totally different context? We can't it certainly seems, sorry, sorry uh, it just certainly seems that Magnum, uh, you know, being around so for so long really needs to, uh, put someone sort of in charge, uh, of, yeah. The new, the new generation and, and handling the assets and the archives that they have and recon contextualizing what they have and, and how it's used and really kind of saying, all right, this was shot under this and put it under a veil and being very, very honest. But now it seems like, you know, it's like this old guard and they need to bring in someone new to really deal with the, what they have in their archives. And I know they, they pretty much sustain themselves by selling stuff from their archives. It's not the new stuff that's being created, but uh, it's, it's really those archives, but they really need to put, uh, get a handle of this. I think I think a point that really struck me that was made um, in the comment section on that article and then made again over um, Twitter by a photographer called Daniel Cuthbert um, was that, you know, why were some of these images taken in a hotel room? Um, you know, and, and the point, you know, is uh, from at least uh, this this photographer that I found on Twitter talking about it was, you know, um, who had gone to uh, Cambodia for a similar story about, um, child exploitation was, you know, um, they apparently, um, with their fixer, you know, went and had dinner, um, shot them on the street, but did not go into a very private setting. Um, and that's, that's one of the other parts that's, I mean, why was, why was that private setting so necessary to tell this story? Um, and that, and, and how could that, how could that private setting have been exploitative? Um, 
And that's that's one of the things that raises a red flag uh, for me there. Yeah, I mean, I've come across like I've tried to do stories about prostitution in the past and women have wanted adult women what have wanted to been you know, like paid for their time. And they're they're always then you would maybe get them in a hotel room. I haven't done that. But um, I've heard, you know, stories like that. Um, but you're right. And I think the nudity question is a big part of that. How do you actually get to that state? I haven't seen the images. Um so I'm speaking a little bit, you know, I haven't seen them, but, um, yeah, it's all very, you know, we, in India, I've, I know there are tons of documentary photographers like have done things on prostitution and brothels. And I'm not a hundred percent sure if they're about younger women, but I would assume that like born into brothels, that documentary, um, does that have to do with non-adult prostitutes um you know the story i was doing for the un at the same time i was photographing child brides it's also a form of sexual exploitation when a 13 year old girl is married off to a 60 year old man and of course she's going to be raped um by her husband that's a non-consensual situation um but you know that's different than calling something uh prostitution and um but is it that different? And I also didn't photograph those girls. They're wearing, their faces are uncovered, but maybe 90% of the time they're wearing a burqa or, but is it that different than the girl, a 13 year old girl on the street? Um, but yeah, I mean, nudity. I mean, we can look at like the napalm girl and that's a nude child, but that's purely editorial. And anyone who wants to take that and look at that in any other way or light or think that that girl should be covered up, I think would be wrong or antithetical to our profession. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, nudity is very tricky. Um, and I think when you work for a publication also, you can't always publish, at least in the United States, photographs of of nudity. Mm-hmm. So you often around things. I'm not even talking about your ethics as a, as a journalist, but you have to be like photographing. Let's say you are doing a story legitimately on an assignment. What publication is going to publish photographs right of children and it's funny you said you hadn't seen uh the photographs and i was thinking like i haven't actually seen these photographs either and i went to kind of look for them and then i realized what i'd have to type into my browser window to find them i'm like yeah i'm not gonna go search for these exactly. photographs <laughs> exactly yeah and then the, in getty, the getty link too they're all blacked out now yeah. on the article so I haven't seen them. I don't really want to see them. I can probably imagine them, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you may be able to find photos that I took if you Google my name and those images, but um, you know, and I don't know what people will say. So it was a little bit harrowing, um, you know, when I read this, but I don't think I, I hope I didn't cross the line. Um, you know, so I don't, you know, but I don't think, I mean, it sounds pretty awful. I mean, back to Travis's point, does Magnum need to reexamine? Like when your search terms come up child prostitution and people are finding images of naked children, you know, are they using, they're not being used, I'm sure, for editorial purposes. Um, and they're not being published in an editorial capacity. So that sort of brings you, that sort of brings you just because someone might use them for nefarious purposes, do we stop? creating certain things like you know it's like there's plenty of people like oh i get off on seeing violence or you know or 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 seeing it like that it's like do you stop shooting you know uh you know those those violent protests and because someone you know there's there's definitely people that look at that and go oh yeah and get off on that but uh do you then say i don't know it's 
adult being, and you love violence, and then you photograph an adult, you know, zombie or some somebody is yeah. into that. Okay. Um, uh, obviously, there should be protecting child and child rights and, and, and the rights of child, and that's very important. But uh, at the same time, if you weren't able to show this, and sometimes in its graphic nature, people don't understand it and never will understand it, and nothing will get done. So it's it's sort of like this catch twenty two of. Uh, uh, of do we do we bring this to light in what its graphic reality or not? Um, and uh, back to the touchy subject of obscuring faces and things like that. You know, we have had many debates because of Black Lives Matter and protests and things like that. Is this a situation where is it okay to then maybe even go into a hotel room because that's the only place you can do it, whatever for whatever reason that's the access, and then we're going to show you these child prostitutes, but then you as the photographer are going to obscure their faces. Does that make it okay? Are we saying, okay, this is happening. These, I can't, it's not in my power as a journalist to free these children or help them, but I can do this. I don't, I mean, these are all really, really tricky situations. We see all kinds of illegal things where we want to gain access to them and it's children and it's sexuality. But what if it's sneaking into, um, what if it's adult women who've been trafficked or in, you know, like there's so many, or it's a labor issue, like, you know, you show somebody doing something illegal in, you know, the working, uh, the, you know, their factory or something. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think we have to protect children. And I think when it comes to sex, sex and sex crimes, it's a huge epidemic. And um, the mo- back to Aaron, highlighting the questions that F-Stoppers asked. What are your mo- what are your reasons? And it should be clear. There shouldn't be like, oh, I'm in Bangkok. I'm gonna photograph this for fun, perhaps. I I don't I I don't know. I think I don't I think- like that makes me uncomfortable all around. I like it makes me completely skeeved out even talking and thinking about children in these environments. It it makes me feel really uncomfortable as well. Um, but I think I think there's also another uh, kind of more general point that um that kind of everybody's brought up, which is, um, you know, just taking photos in general, um, of, of maybe somebody doing an illegal act or in a legal situation or whatever. And I think something that we always have to consider, um, you know, despite people's opinions on what objectivity could be or what not being non-biased is, you know, one of the things that we have to take into account no matter what is that, you know, there is no sort of, you know, above it all kind of, uh, position because literally anything we're taking or publishing or whatever is going to have consequences. It's going to have consequences for, um, you know, everyone involved, whoever's in that photo. Um, it, it has ramifications and, you know, consequences for them in their lives. And so we, you know, it's very, very difficult to say like, oh, well, you know, we have this, you know, we, we're, we're in this position where we're, you know, kind of behind everything and, 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 you know, we, we make no judgment or take no stance on a thing. And when the reality is, is, you know, when you show, you know, like, um, I mean, I shoot a lot of, of protests. That's, um, been one of the things I've done for almost a decade now. Um, and I also have shot a lot of things involving, uh, labor struggles and labor rights. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, you know, you can show, you know, when you show photos of, of, you know, people, getting, you know, the snot beaten out of them by the cops, you know, maybe that, you know, does help, um, on, on one end, um, you know, calling to light this situation, um, that's happening where, you know, and, and, you know, it creates some sort of change. 
But on the other hand, you know, the, the flip side of that coin is also, um, you're going to see people in those photos later. Um, you know, that just by virtue of being in that photo, you know, that's going to change someone's life. Uh, and it could change it for the better. It could change it for the worse, but we have to recognize that just by making that picture, we've, we've now changed something, you know, in the world, be it large or small. Um, yeah. and we always should be taking that into account and thinking about that, you know, when we're shooting something. And of course, Almost you bring regardless. this, uh, of course, you bring this article to my attention just as I had purchased something from Magnum, a print. They just had their print sale, and uh, one of my favorite images went, went up on sale was Muhammad Muhammad Ali photo, and uh, <laughs> I just got the tracking order tracking that it was shipped today. <laughs> and uh, now I feel guilty about it. <laughs> I do think it's telling that you know we we look at photojournalism as sort of this medium by which exists to take pictures and expose things to people, but perhaps we're hitting the upper limits of what photojournalism can do if we're going to be so offended by what we're, we're taking pictures of and want to essentially curtail and censor our own work. Like, no one would have issues with an audio version of this story, yeah. right? So I think that's something to consider. Perhaps then, in this case, photojournalism, documentation, you know, with a camera maybe isn't the best way to tell this story. But then again, there is also the need to tell this story. So where's the line? And to that end, where's the line when it comes to obscuring people's faces? Because I used to be of the mindset that, no, you don't obscure the faces of protesters. They're out there for a reason. They're protesting. Protest by its very nature is designed to garner attention. But then again, perhaps there are um, more vulnerable people and protesting, or I'm sorry, blurring the faces of those who protest might therefore, in a similar context, be justified. I definitely have assignments where I obscure people's faces. I've done, um, you know, with illegal immigrants, I photographed for the Washington Post, and you can take very powerful images showing someone's hands or their silhouette or a shadow or getting some, or just even like one part of their face, but that wouldn't expose their whole face or also sexual assault victims around the world or rape victims. I often photograph them um, from the back or just in some evocative way that doesn't reveal their identity because they don't want their identity revealed for numerous reasons. And I think that's um, extremely fair. And um, a friend of mine did a really amazing book, um, Mariella Fuhrer on, um, child, um, sexual abuse in South Africa. And she, it's one of the most powerful books I've ever seen. And of course she, you know, uh, hid the identity of these young children who were victims of, of sexual abuse. Um, and it doesn't take away at all. And I think exact to your point, yes, there are certain examples as a general principle. I don't think it's something we should think about just for the average person out in public, but these are victims and when we talk about victims um it's important to realize that you can still do something um so i don't this is really a law of, it's just a really big topic but from everything i saw in the f-stopper in the articles that you you sent us it sounds um like magnum really needs to think about how they present their material because it it's not necessarily being used in the correct way or it's out of date the mo you know all for all these reasons um and it's you know it's uncomfortable it's you know children in these vulnerable place positions yeah.
You know, when we're talking about people and women and children and other sort of groups that have been documented in vulnerable positions, I think it's important to talk about those in the United States throughout history who have documented we as United States citizens in vulnerable positions. And I think no other photographer has done that better than Dorothea Lange. Her series about the Depression and the war, World War II and whatnot, uh, was very powerful. And the Oakland Museum of California recently published an online archive of her work. One of the images or series of images that really struck me as very impactful from this series was her series on the Dust Bowl. You know, seeing all these just sort of Midwest wastelands, these tracts of land that are just completely barren and covered in sand, uh, there's nothing growing in these fields. I think that really struck me, and it, it really struck how desperate the situation was at the time. It's so easy to think about, you know, in this day and age, how everything we want is at our fingertips, and we can just go down to the local corner store and just pick up, you know, anything that you know our, possibly our body desires, you know, food-wise or or drink-wise. But you know, there was a time when food was not plentiful; it was not easily available, and many people starved or died because of the Great Depression. So I think her series on the Dust Bowl really evokes the root cause of that, which of course are the farms and their inability to really grow crops in a way to sustain the American public. So what are your all thoughts on the Dorothea Lange's um, body of work and, and what from this archive really struck you as is very impactful from what she has done? I can, I can go and, and I'm going to bring up two because you brought up one, which was tractored out. Um, and the thing about that is just, just as a side story, I remember seeing that photo when I was young, like I was a kid in school, like that was a photo that um, was in a history book of mine, um, you know, when we came to the period of the Great Depression. Uh, and so that's always that's always kind of stuck with me, too. Um, and some of those other depression photos have as well, um, in part because uh, my grandmother was a child of the Depression. Um, but of course, you know, by by the time I was a kid, you know, you know, had a nice little house in the suburbs and whatnot. But um, she used to sit me down on her porch and sort of just tell me stories about growing up. I mean, she didn't grow up in the Dust Bowl. She grew up in a, you know, in the city, but you know, those kinds of, you know, still, I mean, there were a lot of, you know, stories of, you know, struggle and things like that. Um, even for folks in cities, but you know, a rural environment like that is something that, you know, I had never really seen. Um, and so, and so just sort of seeing this sort of barren, um, you know, kind of waste of everything, um, was was extremely powerful uh, but the other set um was the public defender series um from her later work um and i think you know some of those you know you know when looking at some of these you you can really kind of see the the sort of power struggle um you know between folks especially you know when it comes to race um you know there's there's one fault photo called that's just untitled but it's you know a witness taking um the oath and you know behind this witness is a panel of you know a completely 100 percent panel of, of of white folks um uh sitting there and you know and and you have uh you know african-american person you know standing taking the oath and it's just sort of like you can eat, you know, when you kind of look, um, look closer at the, the faces of, that some of these folks are making, you can, you can really sort of see the judgment already there. Um, and there's a, there's another photo, um, 
of a Judge Fox in a courthouse. And again, it's that sort of, you know, look on this judge, you know, or look on this judge's face, um, where it almost makes you feel like, you know, whatever was happening around, um, a judgment probably was already made about, um, you know, whoever uh, the defendant is. And the fact, you know, when you flash forward to where we're living right now, um, that is still happening. That is something that has never gone away. Um, and this was only 60 some odd years ago. And so, and, you know, folks, folks who are in some of these, you know, you know, photos from this era, some of these folks are still alive today. And it sort of shows, I think, you know, the continuity between all the struggles people have been facing, you know, over the past, you know, quite a few decades and how some struggles have changed, but not actually, um, have, nothing has gone away, so to speak. It's so, so funny that you bring that up because I had a very similar experience with a different picture. And, and you say, you know, it's like we recognize so many of these pictures from our youth. You know, the migrant mother is, you know, this iconic image from the Depression and the Dust Bowl and seeing all these images from that and uh, kind of your reaction to that. And as I was going through it, I had connected with a bunch of different photos and some were on the road series and some were, you know, just uh, the the, uh, the country worker who looked like a cowboy. But there was one called uh, White Angel Breadline and it's everybody waiting in this in this food line. And suddenly you think, wow, we're seeing that again today with all these people online and all these cars waiting for food and all this stuff. And it's like that this come full circles. Like when I was a kid, I remember looking at these images and being like, wow, imagine being in that time period. That must have been really terrible. And like suddenly like looking at this picture, I'm like, oh my God, we're there again. We're, we're, we're just repeating the same thing over. And, and, and it's, it, it, it looks almost, um, the, the amount of cars, it's, it's, it's this brand new way of looking at it. And it almost looks worse than, those pictures, uh, and it's, it's really hit hard after seeing that one, one shot. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, a couple, uh, a couple, oh God, probably two months ago or so. Um, I was photographing, uh, a line of folks, um, getting COVID testing. And that is another disparity you can kind of see. And there's a, there's a news story that, that popped up over the weekend of, you know, these sort of very famous rich folks, um, who are celebrities who are, you know, throwing parties and they're getting results within 30 minutes. Whereas, you know, the hospital that I was photographing, uh, is on the west side of Chicago, very, very poor neighborhood, uh, mostly black and brown folks that live there. And, you know, in, in talking to some of these folks, it's like, yeah, you know, we might be waiting seven days, 14 days, um, that kind of thing. And there's, there's such a huge disparity with, you know, not only food and, and things like that, but, you know, life-saving medical care that folks aren't getting yeah yeah sometimes some of these people test positive and they've been through the whole sickness by the time they get the results (laughs) i (laughs) i had i I had somebody who uh who was quarantined for a full 14 days waiting for the results tested negative thankfully but it took them 14 days so if they went and got the test stayed it you know quarantined for 14 days and then we're like okay those came out negative but you know I, you know, I almost need to go get another test because, you know, what if, you know, I picked it up there, right? Damn. Like in the line or, you know, from, you know, just being there. And yeah. yeah, it's terrible. It's unacceptable. And yet it's, it's just become a normal thing. And I think, you know, to your point, you go, you go all the way back to those depression era photos, you know, bread lines and things like that. That was unacceptable then, except it, you know, people just accepted it as fact. And here we are again. And we had the, we, we've had the opportunity to do something different, uh, to respond in any number of different ways. And yet, in a lot of cases, we haven't. I mean, people in their communities, 
I think, have responded in in some great ways and taking care of each other because, um, you know, there's there's a lot of mutual aid networks for people here in Chicago. And so you've got people, you know, getting each other, you know, food, giving each other rides to the hospital or to, to a testing site if they need it or, you know, just sort of, you know, trying to help people pay their bills, um, things like that. And, you know, they, they have to because, you know, local governments are having trouble stepping up um, and the federal government has been nowhere to be found to help anybody. Um, so it's, it's positive to see that, you know, community folks are coming together, but man, we could have had this, we could have had a total, we could have had a different response and we would be in a different situation than we are now if we did. And sadly we didn't. And so I think those images, you know, really show that. Yeah. Um, well, I agree with all of those, but I, um, the shot of the segregated lunch counter, um, there's like eye contact. She's looking and the, the woman at the cat lunch counter is looking right back at her. And that just really struck me because I just thought, okay, this is like a reckoning. I mean, that eye contact draws you in and it's saying, look at me, look at this situation, look at what's happening. And I feel like, okay, we're still dealing with race, with reckoning and racism and inequality, you know, how many years later. And, um, that, especially the work that I've been doing recently, that really spoke to me. Um, all of it. I mean, history comes for a sort, you know, the lines, you know, how many, how many lives have I photographed of people waiting to get food at churches and, you know, pantries or community things like Aaron mentioned and, and, um, you know, the ongoing and also to the black, the rural, the deep south photos. I mean, I think maybe just because I'm very steeped in what's going on um, right now. But I I, I it took my breath um, when I saw the photo of the segregated lunch counter. Like, let's not forget this is an ancient history, but yet it also hasn't changed as much as people want. And um, it, the eye contact, I think, really called pulled me in and said, hey, pay attention, wake up, don't get complacent, you know. It, it was just a voice calling to me from the past. And unfortunately we keep repeating our history. So she's, yeah, really, it's really unbelievable. And I love seeing the images too of her, just of her like working and what she looked like and her, her later life. And as an older woman, I would really love to see this exhibit. I did see it actually. And I think this was the same exhibit I saw in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah, I think it was at MoMA a couple of years ago, but I'm going to double, I'm gonna do that and double check. But um, a lot of her work was in it if it wasn't her show. But this looks fantastic. So if I was in Oakland. Obviously, Dorothea had a great legacy. She shot a lot of different types of imagery. Some of it, and I don't know if I say a lot of it, was shot at a, a low aperture, something like, you know, very open and wide, like F2 or F4. Uh, and I'd say probably some of her work was also shot at a very high aperture, very closed down, like F-16, F-22. And our final topic this evening I want to talk about was that high aperture photography. You know, many of us shoot very wide open. I'd say it's probably the default for most people to set their cameras on aperture priority mode and put it at the lowest possible setting. That's how I shoot. And I think shooting high aperture or low aperture, I should say, is, is very you know, popular and very enticing because you get that nice smooth bokeh. We all love bokeh, that creamy background that really makes your foreground subject pop out. But I want to take a moment to talk about high aperture photography and, and maybe some shots that you've seen in your career, either that you've taken or that you know, other people have done. And I want to talk about 
that imagery and kind of what it means to you and, and how you've used high aperture to capture a subject or an image and, and why you've chose to use it. Because again, it isn't the most common or popular means by which to shoot a photo, but you know, again, I'm, some, I'm curious about it. Evelyn, you have a pretty cool photograph that you shot at one of the recent protests near the White House. Can you talk a little bit about that photograph and, and kind of why you chose to shoot at a higher aperture? Um, yeah, I mean, this was a situation where I was like, it was really dark and I knew I needed a uh, high aperture to get uh, the White House in focus. And I wanted these these women like this is right when that awful fence was um, put up around the White House and it was obscured it so much. And here's like the people's house and you could always see it. You could always walk up fairly close to it. And, um, you know, it was illuminated. So I knew I could do something and get a little bit of reflection on these young women's shoulders and stuff. But I, it was, I mean, F-16, I think, was about as far as I could push it. Um, and it worked. It was enough. But I was literally balancing on a friend's shoulder, shooting at like a 25th of a second, I think. At probably yeah, the, only, the only person I know that was like, it was dark out, so I, I, I closed it down. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. I didn't want to. <laughs> Because it wasn't going to work, you know, if yeah. I didn't close it down. So, I mean, yeah, I knew yeah. I had to close it down, and I, it did. I mean, I think it's a pretty powerful image. I really uh, think it's iconic and <laughs> iconic. Okay, I don't think <laughs> But I, I, it was what it was for me. I think it's it, worthy of a Pulitzer, just saying. <laughs> okay, iconic for me. But, I mean, I knew what I wanted to show and say and I needed the White House. So anyway, I remember balancing on my friend's shoulder and shooting at a very slow shutter speed and sort of praying and firing off, you know, frames and um, and it worked. But yeah, it would maybe even be better at F-22. I don't know. But there there you go. I closed down my aperture in the dark. Wow. What was your shutter yeah, speed for that a, shot? I just looked it up. I think it was like a 25th, 20th, I think you just said. Yeah. 25th, maybe. Yeah. Let me confirm. Which is okay. You can handhold up that. I think you know if you Especially fire some off. Of these, new, these new cameras with image stabilization and stuff like that, allowing you to do a little more of that kind of creativity. This was the 5D Mark IV, one uh, twenty-fifth of a second ISO thirty-two hundred at a hundred and forty millimeter lens. That makes it a lot harder. Look at you! Wow! Wow! Balance on his <laughs> shoulder. Uh, yeah. The technical achievement award. <laughs> And preferred a little uh, more, but I don't think I could have pushed it because with a long lens, it's just too hard to hold it steady. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you had tried to shoot that wide open, it would have just been a big white blur in the Try that. That's right? not, yes, yeah. fail. Fail. So I was, I tried, I mean, I worked, you know, it was, it was hard. I did spend a lot of time um, trying to get this shot. So, I think something like this would be a perfect use case for some of the new cameras that have been coming out. Uh, the Sony A7S III or the Canon EOS R5. Maybe not so much the R5, but I think definitely the A7S III would, would own this image in terms of uh, high-quality, low-light low photography. Light with the, uh, the Canon EOS. I mean, I certainly, just with the EOS R in low-light, uh, being able to, to get focus with that camera was actually really impressive. I was actually very impressed at how you could grab focus in low-light with that camera. So I, I would assume the R5 is even better. I may have manual focused this because with the fence, it yeah. weighed too hard. I think I was trying to focus on the White House, but I absolutely could not autofocus that um, <laughs> in this shot. Um, and I don't like to shoot 
beyond 3,200. You can, but it really, you, it starts to fall apart. Yeah. So I think that's why I stuck with that. But I, yes, the newer cameras, I, I'm sure are much better. The newer at, cameras. Yeah. I have no problem at 6,400 on a lot, most of the stuff. And even on the, uh, in the, uh, 5D Mark IV, I had no problem with 6,400. Yeah. It, you can, it works. I mean, it's okay. I guess maybe I just, I don't like the noise and uh, it also depends what cut. Like I find if it's, um, there are a lot of reds or people, you know, it might've worked okay on this shot, but once you start getting into like skin or trying to get details on humans at 6,400, it, it really looks kind of pixelated to me, but it, you know. Okay. Aaron, how about you, bud? Any uh, imagery that you've seen or taken using I, I, high I'm, aperture? I'm very similar to, uh, to Travis in that I just don't really, <laughs> Do it. Um, and I'm, I'm, and I'm going to say that the, the, the White House photo that Evelyn, you were, you were just talking about and I'm looking at is absolutely amazing. And so I'm just going to pick that one as a, a pretty damn amazing one that I've seen. Yes. Um, I'm using that as my but now, example. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I will say now though, since you, you've put it in my head, um, uh, tomorrow when I go shoot something, I'm going to try to play around with it just to see if I get anything. So, uh, if I do, I'll send it along, uh, I'll send it your way. You know, in thinking about this topic, I try to think of instances where I've used a high aperture, right, where I've closed all the way down. And the only times I can think of where I've really done that is when I wanted a slow shutter speed, right, where I really wanted some motion in the frame and I wanted to stop down and, and kind of get more motion, especially during daylight or the afternoon. How about you guys? It's have actually, you ever done I this? I have done that. And, and it's, uh, I'm not sure if you have. The, the only time you bring this, if I didn't bring an ND filter and I wanted to get, kind of get that waterfall kind of like smooth, I will close it down all the way. And th that's the only time I actually have done it. That is, again, not something I've really, you know, done much of. I, you know, I could probably go back through the archives and find a few things that I've, I've tried, but I don't think I've published them because it just did not come out the way I wanted it to. And, you know, at that point, that's something where I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to skip sending that to the editor, um, you know, because it didn't come out exactly how I wanted it to. Everything's, yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to shoot, you know, t tomorrow morning uh, when I'm on the street, I'm just going to do uh, a whole section of, of completely closed down just to see if I can get it. And, and who knows, you know, maybe it will, because um, again, like I said, I've, I've shot a lot. I mean, I shoot a lot of protests. That's what I'm shooting tomorrow. Um, so we'll see if, you know, Maybe I can get something different out of it because in some cases, especially with ones that, you know, are at some point, a lot of photos, you know, tend to look the same, even if they're from different things, uh, depending on what who's organized something and what the action is and things like that. And so finding, you know, I'm always looking for, you know, new and fun, creative ways to shoot something and show something a little bit different than what most people are. And so, well, you know, a different technique, uh, you know will lead will lead different uh different images all right great well if any of you are listening to this then i want to challenge you to create a high aperture image you know really something where you close down and kind of utilize the entire ability to capture as much of the scene as possible in your image if you can produce something for the website uh, for our facebook page i'd be happy to uh, promote it on facebook our instagram page and, you know, again, I'll feature that. And I think it'd be really interesting to see kind of what you all produce or can show me that you've done in the past that has a high aperture. So uh, just go ahead and go to our Around the Lens discussions page. It's our new group forum. You can join that. It's separate from the actual Around the Lens Facebook page because you can submit your own content to that. 
So go to our Around the Lens group, uh, our discussion group, and, and put your high aperture imagery up there or stuff you found that you think is good examples of high aperture imagery. All right, well, I think that's going to end it for this week's show. Uh, Evelyn, where can people find out about more about you and your work? Uh, my website, evelynhockstein.com, or Instagram at evelynpicks. Um, that's the best place to find me. And Aaron, where can we find more about you and your work? You can uh, you can find uh, my website, aaronsinek.net. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron Sinek. You can find me on Instagram at Aaron Sinek. Okay, great. Uh, everywhere you, else, I it's completely different. Okay, Evelyn, you had something? Yeah, no, I mean, I said I saw the Dorothea Lange exhibit in, at SF MoMA, but actually it was Walker Evans, and some of her work was in it, and it was Walker Evans retrospective. So maybe, yeah, so just wanted to Oakland, go Oakland. They've got Dorothea Lang and, yeah. So. Um, this week, uh, uh, APA is uh, putting on uh, for World Photography uh, Day, International World Photography Day, uh, a huge event. Uh, uh, so uh, please join us, and you can find us at uh, APANewYork.com or uh, New York uh, or just APANational.org. Uh, and uh, we're putting on a free event that is filled with a ton of speakers and content uh, in celebration of World Photography Day. All right. Big thanks to Aaron Sinek for taking time out to be on the show. Really appreciate it. Always welcome back, buddy. For Evelyn Hochstein and Travis Keyes, I am David J. Murphy. This has been episode 238, and we are out! Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets, such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, AroundTheLens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at AroundTheLens.com. <laughs>